Acts 2 and 22, and we'll pray just as we turn and open God's Word together. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for your help, for your anointing. Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. We believe that you are guiding this meeting by your Spirit. Lord, the words that have been spoken already, the songs that have been sang, the prayers that have been made, we do thank you that you are the minister of this sanctuary. And we pray that you would lead and guide and speak, Lord, into our hearts today through the preaching of your precious word. We thank you for the liberty that we have to gather in this fashion. Lord, to gather around your word for the bread of life to be broken. We pray, Lord, both anoint us to preach your word and, Lord, give us ears to hear your word today. Lord, we pray against all the powers of darkness and every work and every lie of the enemy. May your truth penetrate our hearts today. Lord, it is thy truth that shall make us free. And so, Lord, would you have your way amongst us, both young and old today. Would you speak to those even that are outside of you, that do not know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray as we approach the midnight hour, Lord, we're asking for a mighty harvest of precious souls. Lord, for an awakening in your church, that the bride would awaken, that she would make herself ready. Lord, we pray today, stir our hearts afresh in Jesus' name. And everyone said it. Amen. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Praise the Lord. Great verses. If it ended at verse 23, there'd be no amen, nothing to sing about, but praise the Lord whom God has raised up. He's alive this morning, and his name is Jesus. I want to ask a question at the beginning of uh, this message, and I want you to answer it in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. Just If you can, just answer this question in your mind. You know, it's good... The Bible says that we're to examine ourselves. The Bible says that. I know today that it's legalistic if you say that in the church, but the Bible says that we are to examine ourselves. In the reading this morning, as we gather around the table, we're instructed by the Apostle Paul, let a man, what is he to do? Examine who? Himself. Let a man examine himself. Second Corinthians 13 and 5, it says we are to examine ourselves or prove ourselves. We shouldn't be afraid to take stock. Sure we shouldn't? We shouldn't be afraid to sometimes just sit aside in all the busyness of life and everything that's going on in our world and how everything, worse things, I know this isn't great grammar, worse things at It's good to examine yourself. 
It's scriptural. It's sound. It's important. In every walk of life, I'm sure for those in the secular employment, uh, you'll get a time to time an appraisal, they call it. You probably get appraisal. Certainly in public service, you'll get appraisals. And in that time of year, when you come up to the appraisal, they'll call you in uh, to the wee room and the manager will sit there and they'll look over sort of your, your service, your work. And at the end of it, they'll say, well, look, we're really pleased with how you're going. You're getting a 1% pay rise and you're just great. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. And so we do it in every walk of life. Politics, there's the approval rating. Have you ever heard the term, the the president's approval rating is the lowest ever? And so what that actually means is they take a a percentage of people. So if there's 100 people that interview 100, what do you think of the president? So if 44 say we don't like him or 54 say we don't like him, then they work out his approval rating. So at the minute, like, for example, President Trump, is about 44%, the lowest ever. And so in every walk of life, you examine ourselves. But it seems to be that we're afraid to examine ourselves. We might actually be very good at examining others. But we're reluctant ever just to stop for a moment and say, what about me? Where am I? What's my approval rating. So I want you to I don't want you to shout out. I don't want you to put your hand up. But out of ten, as a Christian, out of ten as a Christian, I want you to ask yourself a question. What mark would you give yourself? Don't I'm not talking about please don't mark me. You know when I came to a country town from a housing estate in Belfast, and I've often heard as you go around Balna Hinch and we've been here 13 years. There's been a lot of ministers passed through Balnehinch in 13 years. A lot of ministers. And then you go onto the street and you maybe meet someone from one of the other uh, denominations. And they, they, they've got a new man. I said, they've got a new man. And then you say, what's he like? Oh, he's good. Or sometimes I've also heard, I don't think much of him. I, I'm not even going to ask you this morning. <laughs> But everyone's seeking to examine others. Let me ask you a question. Would you just take a moment as a Christian and what would you give yourself out of 10? Don't shout it out. Don't shout it out, whatever you do. I'm not going to do a show of hands. We might do a show of hands by the end of it. What would you give yourself out of 10? Now, I think that I'm just going to presume something. I think that most of us would like to fall into the category of, I'm going to go middle and play it safe. I'm probably going to go for a five, might squeeze a six. There might be a few here this morning, I don't know, that would simply say, I'm a 10 out of 10. And then there might be others this morning, even by the question, they're already shrugging their shoulders and within themselves they're saying, see, to be honest, I'm useless. I'm just a one or a two, at best. And with this thought, we're going to go a bit further. Because it is this thinking, stay with me, that has left so many 
not everyone, but certainly some, battling in their faith. It is the secret war of so many saints that is very rarely talked about or opened up because people are afraid. They judge themselves too often or examine themselves on the basis by looking at someone else. So they'll look at someone, perhaps, perhaps, I don't know, maybe someone who's great at praying or someone who is preaching on the platform or someone who is singing or someone who is active and they look at them and they make a judgment of themselves compared to what they see. Isn't that right? And so then they begin to make a judgment on where they are in their Christian walk or as a believer on the basis of what they're looking at. And then this becomes a battle because one way they live is with this mindset is that I'm actually never really good enough. I'm never really good enough. And so the accuser of the brethren, which is the devil, has access into that area of our mind and begins to work and plants lies and thoughts into that individual. And after a period of time, do you know what they do? They believe the lies of the devil. They begin to believe that it's true. That they're never going to be anything more than a one or a two. That they're just in themselves, not really worthy to be a Christian. They don't meet the mark. And they begin to live the life, and they live their lives out in that way. And then they get caught in this cycle. It's a dangerous cycle. It's a cycle that their service becomes the basis of their approval, rather than their service is a privilege because they understand that they're approved. I'm going to say that all again, because it's really important what I've just said, because it's crucial. They live their lives. They get caught in a cycle. And the basis of their approval becomes their service, which is a privilege. But they do it out of a sense of they have to, rather than they understand that, number one, they're approved. And out of that revelation, it is a joy to serve Jesus. Heard a lot of sermons over the past, particularly last lot of years. And the purpose of the messages, and often come in the bracket or in the category of the grace messages, is to free people from works. But often what this does is abandons people from the call to service. You're free. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to obey You're free. And so under the banner, and I believe that they have misrepresented what grace truly is, under that banner then, we're all free so we can live whatever way we want and we can do whatever we want because we've been broke free of this religious bondage that there are. Friends, it's wrong. It's wrong. I believe that God wants to certainly free us from religious works to try and seek approval. But he wants to bring us the revelation of what it is to be approved. And when you get the revelation of what it is to be approved, 
Do you know what, friends? You'll so willingly want to lay your life down for the service of Jesus Christ. The trouble really begins, and I'm going to go over some basics this morning, but I want you to bear with me because it's important. The trouble really begins at the core understanding of the position of the believer in Christ. But let's start at the base ground where we all are. And Isaiah 64, if you've got your Bible this morning, we're going to draw a line. And I want to know, I want you to know this morning, every single person in this room is standing on this line. It's a flat line. There's no higher, there's no lower. Everyone's the same. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says these words. I'll let you get there. We're going to read it. But everyone's on this line, regardless of who you are, your wealth, your position, your intellect, regardless of where you're from, everyone stands on this line. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says these words. But we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But we all are as an unclean thing, and all our own righteousness is filthy rags. I want to tell you, friends, what that puts. It puts us all in the same box. It puts us all on level ground. All of us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no big people here and there's no wee people. The most moral, good living person in the world stands on the same line as the worst drunk or the prostitute in Balnehinch. No matter how moral he may be, and that's a good thing, but his own righteousness in the sight of God is but filthy rags. We all stand like Joshua in Zechariah 3 and verse 3, if you turn to that scripture. But this is how we all stand in the sight of God. We're all clean. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We do fade as the leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In Zechariah 3 and 3, we stand just like Joshua here. All of us stand the same. Now Joshua, Zechariah 3 and 3, was clothed with filthy garments. And he stood before a holy God. Every single one of us. I'm, I'm laying out the baseline so we get the revelation. Every single one of us are unclean. All of us are clothed with garments that are stained by sin. There is not one of us that are good. Not one of us. Matthew 19 verse 17. Jesus said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. And that is God. There's only one that's good, and that is God. So I want to draw the line this morning for every single one of us. The baseline is every person in this room is the same. We're born sinners, and we need saved. We're wretched. On the gravestone of William Carey, the father of modern missions, I think the words say something like this. And now, may you take this wretched worm and may I fall in to your kind arms. In the end and in the beginning, we're sinners 
and we're sinners saved by the grace of God alone. Wretched, sinful condition in need of a Savior. And faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone and His love manifested upon the cross, His blood, His death, His glorious resurrection. He saw me plunge in deep distress. He flew to our great need. When the Savior came into our lives, when He lifted us from the mighty clay, when He washed us in His own precious blood, when He delivered us from the power of sin and death and the devil, when He set us free, friends, that is the glorious moment of salvation. It's called being born again. How can we know this? Stay with me. In Ephesians 2, we've read it this morning, verse 8. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, we're talking about this wonderful work of grace, the new birth, being born again. We are all the same. We're all born in sin. All the same. Doesn't matter where you're born, how you're born, what you're born into, rich, poor, red and yellow, black and white, matters not. We're all born sinners, wretched. And all our works, no matter how religious that would be, they're filthy rags. And Paul said these words, is read this, the, this morning already, Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. Now listen to these words. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The Amplified Version says this. For we are his workmanship. We are his own masterwork. We are God's work of art. You never think of that, sure you don't. When I said out of 10, what do you think? You never thought yourself as a work of art. Have you ever thought of yourself as a work of art? No. Has your wife ever thought of you as a work of art? Mine has. <laughs> a work of art. He's a work of art. Created in Christ Jesus. Reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set, so that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. We are a work of art. We are God's masterwork. We are the workmanship of an almighty God. We have been born again of the Spirit of God. There is the eternal God living in our hearts today. But aren't we prone to wonder? Aren't we prone to wonder from the simplicity and the truths of God's word? Aren't we in a day of every wind of doctrine and every addition that comes into the church, every add-on, every bolt-on that comes into the church concerning the Christian faith, aren't we prone to wonder? Aren't sheep prone to wander? I don't know much about them, but we're living up here. I've seen them wander. Driving down the Laurel Road, I've seen two sheep get through. See, once one goes through the hedge, you know what happens? Everyone else goes through the hedge. And then on down the road, they try to get another hole to get back in, and it gets stuck, and there's just two legs hanging out. 
Sheep are prone to wonder. The sheep mentality is to wonder. But can I tell you something this morning? I want you to hear this. See the day that you were saved till today. For some of you, you have to go back a lot of years. For some of you, not so long. But see the day that you were saved. I want you to listen carefully. From the day that you were saved to today, you can add nothing to that salvation. I'm going to say that again. You're to save today as the very moment you were saved, whether that be 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago. There is nothing that you can add to the salvation. You can add to your faith, but you can't add to salvation. So think about it. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to go back into realms of our own efforts in order to seek our approval before God. And so I'm going to ask you again, how are we looking out of 10? Because we begin to add to our faith and we get saved. The day you were saved, you were born again by the power of God the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God lifted you out of the mighty clay. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Glory to God, you're going to heaven. You're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, friend, from that day to today, you've been kept by the power of a living God. Now, we get very advanced in the church so we begin, and this is not a wrong thing, we begin to understand things concerning the Scripture. We begin to understand, well, and it, and it is as fresh as this for so many today. There's 66 books in the Bible. Didn't realize it. There's 39, there's 27, there's an old, there's a new. We begin to see the purposes of God. God created everything. We begin to get taught the things of God. We begin to get a knowledge concerning the things of God. The minor prophets, the major prophets. We go through all the books of the Bible. We begin to get a revelation of God's purpose for Israel. The shadows and the types and the tabernacle. And they begin to show us Jesus Christ. We come into the new covenant, the gospels of Jesus Christ, the synoptics, and we read about the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the, the church's birth at Pentecost, the power of the Holy Ghost. We get a knowledge in the epistles and the corrections and we work our way through and we begin to become students of God's Word and understand the great doctrines of truth and we begin to get a grasp of, of the end times eschatology and we slot ourselves into pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib or whatever other trib there is today and all the great things but let me tell you, none of those things can add to your salvation. And so often, those things in themselves make us feel good about ourselves because we know a wee bit more now. And so maybe you thought this morning by the question, because of our great knowledge that we have, that that makes us more saved than someone over this side of the room. Let me tell you, they're as saved as anybody in this room. You don't think this is in the church today? This is everywhere in the church. It's a good thing to know God's word. It's a good thing to study, to show thyself approved. But we must know, friends, we are sinners saved 
by grace. The unmerited favor of an almighty God. Now this happened in the church, of course, and Paul had to deal with it. The context is important, but I want us to look at these few verses in Galatians chapter 5. You'll know them very well. But in the early church, Paul was coming against a system that would come in that would be an add-on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was called circumcision. Literally, that men, unless they were circumcised, had not the fullness of salvation. So Paul, the apostle, Hebrew of Hebrews, a great individual, a great intellect, but had met the Lord Jesus Christ and was born again of the Spirit of God and knew that this gospel needs nothing The power of the cross, the power of the gospel, the power of the new birth, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, that's sufficient to save a man. And so he writes to the church who now are having a lot of influences and men have brought great ideas in that in some way we need to add to this. We need to make sure we bring into the church circumcision that will complete your salvation now you might think, well, that nothing like that's in the. I don't see anything like that in the church today. I want to tell you, friends, the Church of Jesus Christ in this day in the Western Church is laden down with add-ons to the gospel. That's why it has become of non-effect because there's so many add-ons to the gospel. We have to do this. We have to go that. We have to go through this program. We have to go through this ministry. We have to go through this set of rules. We have to go through these things. Then you're going to be free. The Bible says, He whom the Son sets free, He's free indeed. And so we have all these add-ons, whether it's in the charismatic end or whether it's in the whole religious traditional end. We have laid down the gospel. And the words crying out for an answer. Men are looking for an answer. And we're giving them a list of things that they must do in order for their salvation to be complete. But friends, there's nothing like the power of the new birth. The power of the new birth. Unless a man's born again. And so we have in the church today all these extra ministries and activities to bring people to Christ and for them to know that they're saved. Let me tell you, friends, if Jesus comes into your life by faith and you're born again of the Spirit of the living God, let me tell you, you're going to know it. And so Paul writes in Galatians 5, if you turn there, against the add-ons of the church, against adding something to the gospel, against putting something round the old rugged cross to make it more attractive to the world. The cross needs nothing. It's an old rugged cross. It's on a hill far away. It needs nothing of man. It needs nothing of the church to add to it. It needs no decorations. It doesn't need anything to dress it up or make it compatible to a modern 21st century world. It's still the power of God on the salvation. And so Paul writes these words, Stand fast! Stand fast! Therefore, in the liberty... What does that word liberty mean? It means no longer a slave. This is the part of the gospel. 
This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're no longer a slave. No longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to the devil. No longer a slave to the powers of darkness. You're free in Christ. We're with Christ. Who makes us free? Who makes us free? Christ makes us free. Who makes us free, friends? Jesus Christ. Then this is the warning. And be not, what? Entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I want to encourage you, the revelation of the liberty in Christ, alone by grace, alone by faith, alone. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised... Now here's a very important very important teaching. If you be circumcised, if you add anything else to this gospel, if you bring else, anything else in, if you add anything onto it, whether it's some modern idea, some fresh revelation, just watch the fresh revelations. Just watch the fresh revelation. Does it line up with this book? Now here he says, if you be circumcised, if you add something to the gospel, what does he say next? Christ shall profit you. Say the word nothing. What happens then about the gospel? What happens to the gospel? It's no effect. Nothing happens. Christ doesn't profit you anything. So you're living this life of, 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 of yes, you believe that you're saved, that you're being washed in the blood, but it's not having an effect in your life. This is, friends, I want to tell you, this may not have an effect in most in this room, but I want to tell you something. There are literally multitudes that are in this position, especially in this country. There's no effect of the gospel. There's no effect of Christ in their lives because everything of what they do and everything of what they're involved in and everything of what they're going through in, in ministry and in church and life, it has stripped the gospel of its simplicity and its power. The power of God. If you add anything to the work of the cross, to the death and the resurrection of Christ, the benefits of the cross will have no effect in your life. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, what happens? He becomes a debtor to the law, and Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, this is what he says, you are fallen from grace. You are now fallen from grace. So the work of this gospel, we sing these songs about the power that's in the blood. We sing these songs about the freedom that there is in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in these songs that we sing the great truths, the great theological truths that are in these old hymns. We sing them. We rejoice in them. We proclaim them. We understand them. And as we sing them, there are some of us that are here this morning that are saying, but this has had no effect in me. It's non-effective. It hasn't got the effect that the song is saying. It is joy unspeakable and I have found His grace is all complete. He supplies my every need. Isn't that the song that we sing so often? There's victory for me. In the blood of Christ my Jesus, there's victory for me. 
And yet the reality of that isn't just an expression on our face. I'm not talking just about an outward expression. I'm talking about an inward life. Jesus said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The power of that life flowing through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his church and the power of that life in us. And so we face the reality in some way that it may not be circumcision, but in some way we have a lot of add-ons, a lot of thoughts that rob us of the living reality. This is the gospel. This is what saves us. And this is where we stand. And Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you would turn there and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. I want you to stay with me just in these next few verses. They're very important. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Paul writes these words, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein, what does he say? This is where you stand. This is where you stand. By which also you're saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Would you say amen? He died for my sins. Number two, and that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day according to what? According to the Scriptures. Well, Tim, we know that. That's so simple. It is simple. Praise the Lord. It is simple. Listen to the words again. In verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. This is the gospel of Paul. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, friend, it's the gospel of the 21st century church. It should not be added to, changed in any way, which I received and wherein you, which he also received. And this is where you're going to have to stand. By which you're saved, if you keep in memory which I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Praise the name of Jesus. By faith, when we were saved, I'm as saved today as it was on the 12th of September, 1993. I'm as saved today as it was then. I might know a wee bit more, but actually in real terms, I feel I know much less. I might have more knowledge. I might have learned some things. I might have, I might have a better grasp of things in some areas, but I'm no more saved because of those things. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm no more saved. By faith, there's five simple truths that I want to encourage you with this morning that you should stand on and you should never forget. And if you want these verses afterwards, I'll give you to them. You can get the CD or whatever it is. But write these down. I encourage you this morning. 
You know you're being challenged, but you're battling in your faith. I want you to remember these five things. Write them down. Stick them on your fridge. Stick them on your wall. Stick them on your mirror. Instead of looking at yourself, look at these. Number one, when you were saved, Romans 5 and verse 1 tells us this. Turn there. These are simple verses, but these are the foundations of that life. Romans 5 and verse 1. When you were saved, this is what happened. Therefore, being justified by faith. Would you say the word justified? That is an awesome word. That is a powerful word. You may not know all the full doctrine of being justified. But if you know the simple truth of it, it means in the eyes of God, the day and the moment that you were saved, the word actually means to be rendered innocent. You're innocent. Hold on a second. Can we really get this? Can we really grasp this? But I remember what she used to be like. And I remember what he was. And I remember where they went. And I remember the trouble he got into. Let me tell you, when you're saved and when you're born of the Spirit of God, you're justified by faith. That means you're rendered in the sight of God completely and totally innocent. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory, the glory of God. We have both peace and access when we're justified. Are you justified this morning? I want you to stay with me because this is important. I know what's happening. I want to tell you what's happening. When Paul said, be not entangled again. Now, I want to tell you what's happening when you go through God's word in this manner. I know it's simple. I know that most of you know all the terms, but I want you to listen to what's happening. By the power of the Word of God, not the power of the preacher, but by the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God begins to untangle our minds and free us from the bondage that the enemy would have us in. So as we go through the Word of God and bring the truths of God's words, our minds are being untangled, and the truth then, what does it do? That's just free. Who wants to be free? Free indeed. Praise the Lord. Number two then. Remember you're justified. Number two. In Colossians uh, chapter 2 and verse 9. These are, one of, these are some of the great verses of Scripture. They're all great, but some of these ones are just absolutely profound. Colossians 2 and 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That, that I think it was Leonard Ravenhill said that God contracted himself to a physical body. And all of God, who contains all the universe and everything, then was contracted into that one body and he walked this earth. And his name was Jesus. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily, fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then this is what it says. And ye are complete in him. Would you say the word complete? You are complete in Him. Friends, there is a point you're allowed to dance. 
There is a point you're allowed to get on your chair and shout hallelujah. I'm going to bring you to that in a minute, by the way, because you will do it one day. You are now complete. That word means leveled up. I mean, there's no other thing that you can add into that. You're leveled up. You're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more that I can do because Jesus did it all. You can't add to this. You're complete in Him. You're justified in Him. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, this is a very important one. In a day of much rejection, broken homes, broken families, broken people, but in Christ, this is the great message of the gospel. Ephesians 1 and 5. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. We have received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted into the family of God. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It goes on to say, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, Accepted in the beloved. Know that the word accepted is. Now, if you're saved, would you say amen if you're saved this morning? I want you to stay awake. You're accepted in the beloved. Remember the wee score you give yourself at the beginning? We're going to have to rub that out in a minute, by the way. You're accepted. Do you know what that means in God's eyes? Doesn't matter what anyone else says, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Doesn't matter what people say in the street. Doesn't matter. Bound the hench know what you're going to have for your breakfast before you get it. Doesn't matter what they say, friends. Doesn't matter what the, the chin's wagging and the tongue's talking and everyone that says he's a lousy this and he's just that there and the other thing. Let me tell you something. You're accepted. You're highly favored in Christ. Every one of you. It's not just a special few. Not the chosen frozen. Everyone's highly favored. Who's in Jesus Christ. That's not just the people on the platform. That's everyone that's saved and named by the name of Christ in this room this morning. You are highly favored. You're accepted in the beloved. Would you say amen? Yeah. That's an awesome thing. Poor we me. Yes, poor we you. Even me. Yes, even you. But even when I don't have any GCSEs, you're still accepted in the beloved. I don't have any money. It doesn't matter. You've got the riches of Christ in your soul. You're accepted in the beloved. But I don't talk right. doesn't matter. I don't look right. doesn't matter. Look at me. You're accepted in the beloved. You're highly favored. You're justified. You're complete. You're accepted. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of the grace of God. The grace of Isn't it amazing grace? Number four, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. If I could get the revelation of this, really get it. If we could get it, if the church could really get it, it's going to transform every service we ever come to. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. I want you to just stop there for a moment. Here's this man. John the baptizer looks up and says, Behold, it's the Lamb of God 
to come to take away the sin of the whole world. Sinless, spotless Lamb of God, guilty, vile, and helpless we. And as he hangs on the cross, he'd been examined, he'd been looked at, he'd been whipped, he'd been tortured. They looked over him. Pilate says, I can find no fault in him. He was kosher. There was no sin in him. When they riled him, he opened not his mouth. He hangs on the cross. And the Bible says, For he had made him to be sin for, would you say me? For me? Who knew no sin that we might be made, or that word means caused to be, we are made the righteousness of God in him. That is awesome. Brothers and sisters, that is awesome. That is, if we could grasp that this morning, that we have been made the righteousness of God as though we have never sinned. We stand before a holy God, justified, complete, accepted. We are being made or caused to be the very righteousness of God because He took my sin on His body. All my sin. And so we are the righteousness of God. Number five, Jude in verse 24 says these words. And I told you we're going to talk about Jumping for joy. Jude 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And what's he going to do? And present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I want to tell you what the original is. I'm not a Greek expert, but I do love looking up the words. But you know what the words exceeding joy mean? It means to jump for joy. That's what it means. It means so one day, listen, gonna let you into something. You're gonna jump for joy. Oh dear. I'm up against it. I'm in crocodile water now. One day you're gonna jump for joy. One day you will. Why? Because one day when Jesus comes or calls us, and one day soon I believe he's coming, he's gonna present us individually and corporately as his bride, faultless. Faultless. Think about it. Think about it. Faultless. That's why we're getting a new body. If I was to jump for joy this morning, I'd be a bit like Mr. Potato Head in Toy Story. Everything would fall off. But one day I'm going to have a new body. One day he is going to translate us from this world. One day he, we are going in a moment and even in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be changed. And then he'll present us. Listen to what he says. He'll present us before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He'll present us faultless. Absolutely without fault. Anyone got any faults? Now put your hands up. If you don't put your hand up, you're in trouble. Thanks, Frank. Two hands. I see Margaret pushing his hand up there. (laughs) 
We're riddled with flaws, aren't we? That's the outward. Let me tell you something about this inward man. That inward man's Jesus. And there's no flaws in Jesus. You'll find no flaw in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are changed, we're going to be like him. Just like we have never sinned. And all the pain and the agony and all the trials of this world will be nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And all the tears will be wiped away. There'll be no more sickness, no more aches, no more pain, no more hospitals, no more undertakers, no more graveyards. We'll leap for joy in the presence of the Lord forever. Faultless, righteous, accepted, complete, and justified. Now our verse said, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. I want to tell you there's only one man's approved. His name's Jesus. In his mercy, in his grace, and in the great privilege of knowing this Christ, he'll use us in some measure, in different callings, in different walks of this life, to influence others, to help others, to share the gospel, to encourage one another. But I want to tell you, there's only one man approved. His name's Jesus Christ. In Christ, no other or none other was anyone approved like Jesus. The meaning of the word, we find a profound insight that refers to Christ alone. He's shown forth as the holy and the anointed one. But this word has two meanings. One, to show forth, that is the person of Jesus Christ. But secondly, to properly, to point away from oneself, to point to another. Nothing you can add to your acceptance, just point to Jesus. Nothing you can add to the immeasurable love that he has for you, just point to Jesus. Nothing you can do to add to your justification, just point to him who justifies. If we can add anything to the work of the cross, if there's something we can do, know what happens? Then the work of the cross is insufficient. The words of Christ that filled the realms of time and eternity when he hung on the cross, it is finished. But if it wasn't, or if we add to it, if we put something with it, then the words that he said were simply lies. And who would say such a thing? Who would suggest that you're not justified? Who would suggest you're not complete? Who would suggest this morning that you're not the righteousness of God? Who would suggest to you this morning that in some way that you're not, you're not up to the mark? Who would do that? Anybody know? Anyone familiar with him? Anyone know his name? The old serpent, the dragon, the accuser of the brethren, a murderer, a liar. What's he called? The devil. By faith alone in Christ, I'm redeemed, I'm justified, 
I'm delivered. I'm accepted. I'm free. I'm washed. I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. He's my scapegoat. He bore my wrath. He's my sin bearer. He died my death. He took my shame. And thanks be to God, he rose again on the third day. And so I ask you this morning as we're coming to a close, what's the approval rating? What was your number? Don't shout it out. What number did you give yourself? You see, what we did there, and I know I'm being a wee bit clever, I think. Do you know what we did there? We immediately judged ourselves as a Christian on what we do, didn't we? And so I'm sure there's some here this morning, maybe one or two, I don't know. You're not going to admit it now that you were a 10. But you were a 10 for the wrong reason. You were a 10 because you thought you were really the boy or the girl and you were really doing it and cutting it for Jesus. You need to repent of that. And then there's others who said this morning in their heart, do you know what? See, as a Christian, I'm a lousy Christian. I don't need to meet the mark. Max, I'm a two. Maybe a three. On a good week, when I feel I've done my prayers and read my Bible, got to the prayer meeting, I maybe even make it up to a six. Maybe even a seven. Never a ten. Can I tell you something, friends? Let me tell you something this morning. See, every Christian in this room, every single one of you, you're a 10 out of 10. I don't feel like one. I'm going to tell you something. You never will. That's why it's faith. It's not on the basis of what we do. It's on the basis of what he's done. And you should have put down when I said, what are you as a Christian? Now, those that get caught up in the feeling good about themselves and their own righteousness, they're number nine, they're number ten. They maybe even give themselves eleven out of ten. You can do that in Northern Ireland. You can go higher than a ten out of ten. Let me tell you, friend, this morning, as a believer, you're as saved today as the, as the day you were saved. You're as justified today. You're as complete today. You're as accepted today. You're as faultless today in the inner man. And from that position, this is where so much of it stops, from that position of the revelation of who we are in Christ, what do we do? I'm free to do nothing. No, because of that revelation, we say, Lord, I'm going to live this life for you. I'm going to give it all on the altar. I'm not going to do it because I have to. I'm going to do it because I'm willingly offering my life because I see you gave your life for me. And so it's simple. It comes to this place of where we understand we don't do it to be approved. Well, we do it because we know through Christ this morning we are accepted in the beloved and our desire is to serve Jesus with all of our hearts. So often it just ends with, you're accepted, you're great, you're wonderful. Now everybody go home and don't worry about a world going to hell. Don't worry about a prayer meeting. Don't worry about revival for Ireland. Don't worry about serving Jesus. Don't worry about the mission field. Don't worry about living for God. Just live for yourself. It's so wrong. You understand how it's so subtle how the enemy uses it? But because of our 
position in Christ, we say, Lord, I will serve you because I love you. And he accepts the free will offering of these lives as we present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto him. It's not by works of righteousness, but it's by his grace alone. We are complete in him. Let's pray together this morning.